Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, and we will be moving around a little bit this morning. I would just want to read the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to the working of his own will. So the writer of Hebrews here takes a very short chapter, chapter 1, and establishes the revelation and the greatness of God, how that Jesus Christ came to earth to give us his revelation. Chapter 2 starts out with a challenge. Because of the great things that God hath done, we need to be careful. <clears throat> we, we need to give earnest heed that we don't let things slip. How many of you have let things slip? You go through your uh, emails and, oh, I should have answered that a week ago or whatever. Or, uh, I forgot to do this or file some report. Um, I mean, we, we let a lot of things slip. And churches, we let things slip. In fact, Jesus, to the first church he wrote to at Ephesus, he said, You've left your first love. It's not that you're not doing the right things. You're not doing the right things for the right reasons. And so this morning, I would like for us as a church to take a few moments and examine some things. Uh, while Brother Brown was here, he began to ask several questions and and uh, about... Uh, uh, the uh, U.S. air flight that uh, Captain Sullenberger landed in the Hudson River and began to bring back in uh, many, many things there. And, and uh, I had worked on a sermon uh, several years ago, actually, for a national fellowship meeting based upon that story. And, and it came back to my mind. And how many of you really have, know the story of Captain Sullenberger in that uh, water landing, uh, NTSB wanted to call it a crash. Uh, but let me ask you a question. When you take a commercial jet and crash it, how many people live? Uh, how many people survived? Every one of them. There were five serious injuries. One crew member and four passengers. Everyone else was treated for minor injuries, shock, hypothermia, all of these things. But we call it the miracle on the Hudson, don't we? I mean, New York City's history 
of airplanes was not very good between 9-11 and January 15th of 2009. Now, what I'd like to do is just go through a little bit of the story. The flight only lasted 208 seconds. We all hear planes take off from LaGuardia all the time. If you live in Jackson Heights, uh, you are in the flight path, and it is right over your head all day and nearly all night. And you hear those planes constantly. The thing that was different than this one was as it raged to an altitude of 2,818 feet, a flock of geese crossed in front of that plane, and both engines were lost. That had never happened in history, and as far as I know, it hasn't happened ever again since. The environmentalists are still angry about all of the birds that have been killed to protect the flights going in and out of LaGuardia. Uh, if I have to choose between birds and people, guess who loses? Uh, the Bible tells us that we, we need to understand these things. But the part of this story that is amazing is that after the flight, of course, the news media and everyone had uh, christened Captain Sullenberger as a hero, and he is and was. But then we have this little organization called the National Trans uh, Transportation Safety Board, NTSB. Uh, it is their job, uh, established by the federal government, every airplane accident, every bus accident, every uh, mass transportation accident, the NTSB investigates. In fact, they investigate, uh, at least they used to, uh, every tractor trailer, every commercial vehicle that was involved in an accident, there would be someone for the... NTSB there investigating the accident and trying to evaluate and they put all this stuff in a database and and they try to teach people from this. When I was the uh, bus mechanic at Cleveland Baptist Church, we would get a, a, a magazine for maintenance on uh, commercial fleets, which is what the buses were. And there's always an article from the NTSB in there talking about accidents and even uh, this, this was uh, 30 years ago, uh, so this was way, way before all of these things, I, I began to realize one thing about the NTSB. There was no such thing as an accident. It was always driver, pilot, whatever you call the guy behind the wheel. It was always human error. There was no such thing as an accident in their book. And, of course, they came to this with that attitude. And so who was the culprit? Who was the person who caused this tragedy? It wasn't the birds. It was Captain Sullenberger. And they put him on trial. And they accused him of having done everything wrong. In fact, uh, the, their, uh, his first assessment to the NTSB, he thought he was before an organization that really wanted to uh, 
examined the accident and all of these things, but he soon found out that they had no desire to examine the accident. They had no desire to understand anything but the fact that Captain Sullenberger was at fault for this thing. I want to remind you, he had saved 155 lives, including his own. They did computer simulations, and Captain Sullenberger's first response, I forgot to tell you, was the flight was only 208 seconds. I had, there was no time to calculate. I had to eyeball it. Uh, I had to make a judgment. I had to decide what to do. I just did what I thought was best. Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you have done what you thought was best and it was wrong? Would you raise your hands? Okay, and if you didn't, you just told a lie, right? Uh, The book of, of Judges is all about every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Isn't that true? I mean, we don't set out to make mistakes. Captain Sullenberger, when those, uh, when he took off on, from that runway at LaGuardia Airport, wasn't thinking, you know, it'd really be cool to try to land this plane in the Hudson River. I, I think that would be a neat trick to pull off. Uh, let me tell you that that was the absolute farthest thing from his thoughts. In fact, more than the tragedy of the day and the stress of the day, it was the stress of the hearings and the accusations that caused Captain Sullenberger to suffer flashbacks and post-traumatic stress and all of these other things, even more so than the event itself. Now, that's a terrible thing, is it not? They put their computer simulations together and said, you could have made it back to LaGuardia. You could have landed in Teterboro. In the middle of the hearing, after they played, uh, Captain Sullenberger had actually gone to his union representative, his union chief, who had called Airbus uh, in Paris and said, uh, if you're, for, for this hearing that, cap, that, that, that we are dealing with here, We do not want computer simulations. We want live pilot simulations. And NTSB was really angry about that because he was literally going behind their back and interfering in their investigation. And so now they were really determined to get him. And he stopped the hearing in the middle of the hearing and said, you've allowed no time for human error. You've allowed no time for thinking... These pilots were briefed, and the NTSB admitted that the Teterboro landing took 17 failed, 16 failed attempts before they played the videotape of the one successful attempt. Now, you know what that is? That is manipulation of evidence, my friend. That is deceit. And it is man trying to rewrite history to agree to his own thing. They added 35 seconds decision time. And no practice. They were connected live to the simulators in France. And both pilots wrecked. Could not land the planes. 
You see, Captain Sullenberger was right. He was so very right. He had always been right. And when the whole world seemingly came down on his head, he grabbed a hold of what he knew was right. One of the flight recorders had said that the left engine was still functional and it was his error that hadn't restarted the engine. Yet, during the final NTSB investigation, they recovered the questionable engine from the bottom of the Hudson River and found out that the flight recorder information was wrong. Captain Sullenberger was right. I want to tell you something. How, or ask you a question. How could somebody be so right when every one around him, the experts, the people that knew these things, the computers, everybody around him said it was wrong. In fact, when it was all done, the NTSB came out and said there was only one factor that brought out a positive result in this near catastrophe. That was Captain Sullenberger. Without him... We'd had just another tragedy. Not only 155 lives on the plane lost, but who knows how many on the ground had that plane wrecked into the buildings of Manhattan or Jersey Shore uh, or if he had tried to return to Queens. I mean, what would have happened if a, uh, an Airbus 320 had come plowing through Astoria? I mean, you, you, we can't even imagine these things. And as I prepared this sermon several years ago, and as Brother Brown and I were talking, I just said, you know, we we need to revisit this thought. Because we live in a world, and I, I don't know how many times I have said from this pulpit, I wouldn't even want to guess. This book is the Word of God. You want to be right? You got to do what this book says. And then I can ask you a question. How many of us aren't doing what this book says? Every hand goes up. I want to read a quote here by Captain Sullenberger. If I can find it in my notes here. Yeah, here it is. I knew I had it. One way of looking at this might be that for 42 years, I've been making small, regular deposits in this bank of experience, education, and training. And on January 15th, the balance was sufficient so that I could make a very large withdrawal. Do you understand what he said? He had spent his whole time, all he had ever wanted to do was fly a plane. He had spent his whole life not only being a pilot, but studying every accident and the outcomes of those accidents and studying everything that he could so that he would be the best 
Pilate that he could possibly be. And his instructor, it's included in his book in uh, the movie that Clint Eastwood did, left him with these words as a teenage boy. He said, no matter what happens up there, don't forget to fly the plane. Wow. That, that, uh, does that even need to be said? I want to tell you it does. Because we let things slip. We, we decide we're going to do things our way, somebody else's way. And you see, as Captain Sullenberger testified at the trial with the NTSB, he said, we didn't have practices. We weren't warned this was going to happen. We had no way, in fact, there is nothing anywhere in any flight school in the world that could prepare you for the event that we went through. It had never happened before, let alone to have somebody survive, let alone to have every soul on the plane survive. Now, could I challenge you that living the Christian life is just as important as flying an airplane? That not only are we responsible for ourselves, but we have people that we influence. People who are watching us and listening to us. And we're either influencing people for good, or we're influencing them for evil. We pass out tracts and it never fails anymore. Someone say, I don't need that. I'm okay. And I just want to say, what would you base that statement okay on? Uh, how would you base that evaluation of your life? What, what do you use? Well, listen, these are some of the answers I've gotten over the years. I'm just as good as the other guy. Uh, who's your next door neighbor? Oh, uh, some guy named Dahmer. Uh, no. Uh, there's, you can have all... Don't, don't try to compare yourself to your next door neighbor. I have my religion. Okay. Uh, me and God, we got a deal worked out. Jesus and I, we're best buds. Excuse me? The creator God of the universe, you're going to treat him that way? How could you respect him as your Savior and your God? Uh, I want to know about this. Because those, those thought processes are completely foreign to the scriptures. You see, Captain Sullenberger was right. And he was able to make the right decision. And he had such confidence that he had made the right decision because of 42 years of active experience learning and saving up that knowledge so that on that tragic day, the worst side effect was post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's 
That's amazing, is it not? Now, we live in a world where this book is not right. That's what they say. Where good is evil and evil is good. Where every move that a Bible-believing Christian makes is called into question and scorned by the world. This simple idea of men being men and, and women being women. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, that, that is socially crafted, uh, uh, artificial, that's not real. Uh, excuse me. You take a little boy and set a pile of cars on this side and set a little a bunch of dollies on this side and what's he going to do? He's going to go play with the cars. Uh, you do the same things. To... Now, I know there's little girls that love worms and love to go fishing and stuff like that. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. God created us in His image. But He created us different one from another. And if you've ever met anyone who claims to understand the difference between male and female, I want to introduce you to a very lonely person. Look at Solomon. He said, Among men, 10,000, I found one man. But not one among so many women. I mean, you talk, Solomon surrounded himself with people, but he was an extremely isolated man. In fact, in the end of his life, he was isolated even from God. As he followed his strange wives and worshipped the false gods. Solomon was a tragedy. He had all of the resources... But he didn't do anything. He, did, he, he didn't do what he knew was right. Now, if we're going to live this thing called the Christian life, we've, we've got to make some decisions. And the Bible in Hebrews, we just read that. If we're not careful, we, we can let those things slip. We can... Uh, we can... Uh, Lose a tight hold. And now I know uh, Thanksgiving is, in, uh, is next week and Christmas season has uh, been here since uh, July 4th, I think, this year. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, uh, and, and then it's going to be New Year's and then we start a whole new year. And got a question. How's your Bible reading going? Always gets quiet when I ask that question. You know why? Because every one of us struggle getting it done. Isn't that true? Uh, you see, here's what the Bible says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, 
If I were to ask you to raise your hands this morning, how many of you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and know based upon the Word of God that heaven is your home? How many would just raise a hand? Just give a testimony to that. That heaven is my home. And that eternity with Jesus Christ is my lot because the Bible says so. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Do you remember the day you asked Jesus to save you? The time that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, the night he was betrayed, said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It was the disciples that said there is none other name given under heaven among men, whereby we, how many of you know that next word? Must, must be saved. You see, you can be right about salvation if you will trust the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, the living word, and your holy Bible, the written word, if you will trust what Jesus said in his experience, in his work, you can be saved. Do you know that salvation is not the end of your Christian relationship, but the very beginning? How many of you used to go to a church where the end goal, if you did everything they said, maybe you could get salvation someday. How many of you used to attend a church like that? And you tried. And you worked. And you, and, and you tried to do enough good. And yet there was just something inside of you telling you this is not going to work. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit of God. That was the grace that we sang about, grace greater than our sin, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men and gives every person a choice and I can't answer for the aborigines. But I'll tell you what, don't use them for an excuse not to answer the same question in your own heart and soul. There are things that we cannot know. And I am willing to trust those things to the character and the person of the God of the Bible. Uh, There are some things it's better not to know. Amen? And, And I am willing to trust those things to my Heavenly Father because... I want to be right about eternity. People say, oh, you were just, you're a Baptist because you were raised a Baptist. No, actually I wasn't. I was raised Baptistic, but I wasn't raised a Baptist. When I went to Bible college and began formally studying the Word of God, unfortunately, 
the Bible college I was I, I attended was changing what it believed. And, and this day they've changed everything. My Baptist history class was basically why the Baptist church isn't the only true church in a Baptist college. And I couldn't figure that out. And then I began studying history. And, and I took the challenge that the professor laid down and, and, and began to study. I found out he was wrong. You know, Jesus made a statement. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's the testimony of Martin Luther. The church of Jesus Christ has become so corrupt by the evil and evil practices of this world that I must start a new church, the Lutheran church. Though he didn't choose that name, everyone else did because he was the guy that started it. Now, either Martin Luther is right and Jesus is wrong or Jesus is right and Martin Luther has no idea what the church of Jesus Christ even is. And uh, I'm going to vote for the latter. How about you? Uh, You see... Martin Luther believed that the Roman Catholic Church was the Church of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you, it never has been and never could be. Because even when its founder, Constantine, was incorporating true believers and true churches into the fellowship that he would then head, it wasn't very long before these believers understood that they were either going to have to cast their allegiance with the Roman Caesar or with Jesus Christ, and they left. And the very church that they used to attend, once controlled now by the Roman state, began persecuting the very people who used to be their members. That's church history. But, you see, there's a promise in the book of Revelation, and we've recently reviewed this, so I'm just going to read it very quickly here. Jesus is talking to the church of Philadelphia and he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, capital J-E-W-S, trying to be true believers and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. You know, I want to be right about the church. That's why I was baptized as a sophomore in Bible college. Because I wanted to join Jesus' church and not ask him to attend mine. Authority does not come from us. It comes from Jesus Christ. You want to be right about baptism. Just as biblically and consistently correct as we can possibly be. We have never re-baptized anyone. But what we do is we question whether the baptism that you claim to have is a truly biblical baptism or not. If you're baptized in a church that no longer believes what the Bible says, we believe that authority has been broken. And that cannot be 
a Bible-authorized baptism. If you're baptized in a church that's part of a denomination, who is the head of that church? Well, how can Jesus be the head of the church that's run by the Pope or the Council of the Presbyters or the General Assembly Assembly of the Deacons and Elders or whatever organization or group or district is superintendent? If you remember Fred Flintstone, we've got to get the Grand Poobah in there, all right? Uh, they have all these people out there claiming to be in charge, and if they're in charge, Jesus is not. They've broken that authority. And so, what all we ask is that you would be baptized in Jesus' name. I can't tell you how many people have come through the doors of this church. Uh, Several of them made professions of faith in Christ. I remember one story in particular. A young lady said, I brought my boyfriend to you because I knew you would lead him to the Lord. And I said, oh, well, that's very flattering. We're thankful now. Um, The next step is baptism. Uh, I said, but uh, I noticed on your visitor card, uh, both of you have different last names in the same apartment number. Oh, yeah, we're living together. We're going to get married here in just a little bit. Uh, We can't baptize you if you're not going to. Follow what the Bible says. And here was her words to me. It was just amazing. She said, we've already talked about this. And we agreed that if you agreed to baptize us, you couldn't be a true man of God. And I'm sitting there, maybe there's hope. But we're not going to get married until we have our big wedding. And we're going to continue living together. And we would rather do it our way than do it the Bible way. Didn't say it quite that plain, but it was very... That was... You see, the reason Captain Sullenberger was able to make the right decision is because he had right information and right decisions, little daily basis, all through his life, so that in 208 seconds... He was able to determine the safest way to land that plane and save 155 souls on board. I admire that kind of right. How about you? But I want to ask you as a church, do we have any less responsibility to be right than Captain Sullenberger was? Because we're not just dealing with physical things in an airplane and people. We're dealing with eternity here. Souls are in the balance. We want to support missionaries. But you know what? If we don't have the funds, we, we can't support the missionaries. Uh, oftentimes, what will happen is we'll have a missionary. We've had several this year. Uh, come off the field, get sick. Uh, We had one of our missionaries actually pass away this year. And and so uh, normally what we do is is I'll come before you and say we have a missionary that we uh, had go off the field. 
we got this other missionary over here. Let's add them to our missionary. We can't do that right now. We, we just can't. You see, salvation is not the end of the Christian life. It's not the end zone. It's not the goal. It's the starting line. You've got to be right about baptism. You've got to be right about church. But you have to be right about running this race with patience. Hebrews chapter 12. We've been through that passage so many times. Let us run the race with patience. That's where we let things slip. Is it not? It's in that daily strife to live. And Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mountain. Brother Brown uh, talked about this uh, verse many times while he was here with us during our missions conference. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You know, we make decisions every day that determine what's going to happen to our family, our children. You know what? You don't get a second chance. How many of you remember the ad campaign? I've referenced it several times. It was on all the bus stops through New York City. I wish they came with instructions and had a picture of a teenager there with a... Uh, I think her head was in her arm and all uh, sad and everything. And, and Hey, I, I want you to understand something. Children do come with instructions. God gave them to us. And you can do what the Bible says. And you can be right. Or you can choose to go your own way. And your children will be the main sufferers. Oh, you say, well, I suffer so much in my mind and my heart. Um, no, the children are the ones that suffer. Because most of the time, they are so full of the world that they cannot even understand the truth of the Bible anymore. There's no room for it. We, we don't get a second chance. We don't get practice runs. For Christianity, for life. It's a one-shot deal. And yet, how can we be right? People often accuse me, say, well, you're just so, so dogmatic about things. Well, that's kind of easy to be dogmatic because if God said something, I think I could trust that. How about you? I think I could stand firmly and make a decision based on the Word of God, not knowing what the future holds. And believe that God's going to take care of things. God's not going to take care of you. If you didn't do things right. You know, what the NTSB said, if any other pilot had been behind those controls, that, that the outcome of that flight could not have been anything less than catastrophic loss of life. 
they judged that he was, when all of the data was finally brought in, they judged he was the only living man that could have pulled that off. That NTSB had access to the records. We'll put that in there. Isn't that an amazing thought? That God put the right man with the right knowledge in the right place at the right time. I like that. But I want to tell you something. I believe that God has assembled the right people at the right time in the right place to be the Open Door Bible Baptist Church of Astoria. I believe that. I've staked my life on that. My whole life is about this church. I remember my wife and I were dating. And uh, she got very nervous and said, uh, finally, we were able to sit down and talk, and she said, I, I'm not sure I'm called to New York City. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know where this came from. I trust it was the Lord. It's been working for over 30 years, and we're going to trust it stays that way. But I said, listen, your calling is not to New York City. That's my calling. I said, you know what? The Bible tells me that a wife's calling is her husband. So, And then I said, what am I saying? I said, I guess, and I went out and said it. I said, you know, really, I'm your calling. I said, oh, no. This is it, done. She just relaxed, smiled at me. I can live with that. (laughs) You know what? You can be right. The, the most terrifying decision I ever made in my whole life was to try to purchase this building. Some of my best and most uh, trusted counselors were, are you crazy? That's not going to happen. It has never happened. I, I fear for you. And if I called their names, you would know who these people were. The one that wasn't was old brother Marshall. He was dragging me to the real estate agent saying, come on, let's put an offer in on this thing. So don't we need to pray a little more first? He said, we already prayed. Let's go. I remember asking the real estate agent, what happens if they, uh, if they accept our offer and we can't follow through with this whole thing? And he looked at me kind of funny. He says, well, not, nothing unless you put money down. I said, well, okay, what will they accept? And we went through a few things, and he said, I, I think they'd accept $700,000. Okay, $700,000, that's good. Put that offer in for us. <laughs> and they took it. Talk about crazy. And when we were $150,000 short that winter, uh, then I was really going, who's crazy? And I remember calling a preacher and saying, could you help us a little more? 
And he was going, don't worry about it, Brother Pete. God brought you this far. He's going to take you the rest of the way. And he didn't help us anymore. But God did. You know, one of these days, Jesus come back. I want to be on the right side of the rapture. Because you don't get a second chance. If you've rejected the gospel, the Bible is clear as crystal. You will believe the lie. I want you to understand, that's how good Antichrist is going to be. And we're going through prophecies, and we'll be talking about that on Sunday nights. You see, here's what Paul said. He said, for, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you know what? We can get attitudes... There's bitterness. The Bible says it's a root that defiles many of God's people. Your hands can get feeble. Read Hebrews chapter 12. Your knees weary. Galatians chapter 6, where to help those that find themselves in a fault, in problems, in sin... There's an awful lot that can go wrong in the Christian life. But I like the words of the song and the Apostle Paul. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It amazes me as I read the story and 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 understand the events that Captain Sullenberger had, as he called it, a deposit of experience and knowledge and teaching to make a huge deposit and save himself and 154 other souls. That story amazes me. And when the NTSB came down on him, He didn't fold like a cheap house of cards and just say, oh, yeah, yeah, you must be right. I did everything wrong. He would not accept their lies. He knew what they were. And he won. David defeated Goliath again. And will so every time David is serving the Lord and the cause of truth. Now, we've got decisions to make. Are you right? I'm saved. Uh, that's the starting line, not finish line. There, there's some other things you need to be, you must be right about. You cannot afford not to be right about these things. You don't get a second chance. When I stand before God, I know I have confidence that I'm right about my baptism. That I'm right about the church I'm a member of. I'm right about the theological positions that I hold because they agree with what this book says. And if God were to call me into question, I have chapter and verse in His Bible. 
And sometimes God does call us into question just to shake us up a little bit and make sure that we don't let things slip. In our personal walk with God, are we letting things slip? Are we reading? Are we praying? Are we telling others about Jesus? We're not. Guess what we did? And I know people say, well, what about this and what about that? And uh, we've had to reorganize everything in the church. (laughs) Andrew did a lot around here. Well, we're going to have to be patient with one another and organize things again so that we can do what we need to do. But that may mean changing our schedules and giving a little more of ourselves and setting priorities that are just simply right. When I stand before Jesus, I want to have confidence that I'm in the right church and I'm a member of that church and I'm serving God in that church, that I'm saved and born again the Bible way, that I have lived what the Bible says. And I want to tell you, the devil's a whole lot meaner than the NTSB. And the world is far more critical than the NTSB. And the pressures that they will put on you through family, friends, television, every book that was ever written, everything that is ever done, it is insurmountable. In fact, I've had preachers say, how in the world can you hold to that old King James when everybody else says... Well, that's real easy. I want to be right. You're saying I'm wrong? Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to it. I'm not here to change what you believe. If you choose to believe wrong, I can't stop you. Nor would I. I want members of this church to be here because they want to be here. Because we're a body. We're supposed to function together. And if we're not careful, we'll let things slip. Even our church attendance and other things like this and our giving, we'll let it slip. And it doesn't hurt you as much as it does everything else that's going on. Do you want to be right? I would say most of us do. I doubt there's one of us here that doesn't enjoy winning an argument. See, I told you I was right. I knew I was right. Well, I want to challenge you. There's not going to be any arguments whatsoever before the throne of Almighty God. He's going to judge you right. He's going to judge you wrong. And if we'll hold on to what is right... The Bible tells us that we can have confidence in the day of judgment. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, my prayer is that people would understand this sermon for what it is. It's just a plea to assess our spiritual state. 
Lord, I pray for those in this auditorium that are wrong about salvation right now. They could make that right. All they have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you're the one that does the saving. They've just got to stop trying to save themselves. Lord, we pray for those that are still wondering about baptism and church membership. Lord, that they would take time to examine the facts, examine the history, examine the Bible, and just be right. That, Lord, in our daily Christian living, that we would understand the practical truth that Jesus is the only way, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, when it comes to facing eternity, the Bible says these things are written that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life, and that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. Lord, we pray there be a reality to our belief in the name of the Son of God. Lord, that we would not be among those that, Lord, Lord, but we would just know that you are God, And we would do right. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn this morning, 294, Just As I Am. That's how you got saved. That's how you live for Jesus. That's how you get right with Him. And let's just sing a verse or so. If you need to come and pray, now is the time as we sing. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. We'll just have the piano continue to play. That second verse says, In waiting not, To rid my soul of one dark blot. You know, we get so wound up in one sin, sometimes we forget all the others we're not paying attention to. That's why the Bible says that He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But He does ask you to come. If you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, you can do that. Walking down the aisle won't save you. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ will. And we'd like to assist you in that decision. Open the Bible so that you could know, based upon God's Word, heaven is your home and your sins are forgiven.